today. Some of you have been gone for quite a while. I'm glad to see you're right with Jesus once again, and you're here. Um, just a reminder also, we have an 11 o'clock service too, so um, it's good to have you guys here today. And uh, before we get started, by the way, I'm Joe Davis, the lead teacher here in the garden. Um, thank you for joining me in this semi-air-conditioned room this morning. Um, all right, so we have a lesson today, and the, the, the lesson is, if I can get it to go forward, click on that, take, put it on the, there we go. All right, so we've been, it's still not working. You got to keep the mouse on the program there, big guy. Okay, still not working. All right, so I'll just have to power through it and tell them when to switch it out. So uh, we've been doing this series called Move Over. It's a nine-month lectionary series on the book of Kings and um, our book of uh, Mark. And it's starting where today we're still in the book of uh, First Kings. Does this one work better? It does work better. Can I throw this at you? No, just kidding. Okay. Um, all right. But today, you know, normally I love, I love coming up with sermon titles because titles I think are important to kind of get your focus. But I can't tell you the title yet because, A, <clears throat> some of you might be offended. As you know, I'm very concerned about offending people. So the title will be provided later once I give you some context for the title. Okay? So the title will be provided later. But we're looking at 1 Kings 18. 20 to 39, which, by the way, is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I love this story. And so let me give you some historical background. As you, as you know, every passage has a historical application, which tells us what about man, what did he do, and why did he do it. So we're going to look at the history of this story about this prophet Elijah. Elijah was the prophet of God, and Ahab is king of Israel at this point. And you guys remember, the last time we were here together, we talked about how the nation of Israel had been divided into the northern and southern kingdom because of the sin of Solomon. And so now this nation of Israel is separated, divided, fighting with one another, and many of them are worshiping false gods. And Ahab is an evil king. He has an evil queen named Jezebel, and he has made the worship of Baal the state religion. It's interesting because Baal was a, worship, was a god who demanded child sacrifice. Can you imagine why Satan would want Jews Worshiping a God that demanded child sacrifice? Clearly another attack on the line of Christ in many respects. But as we see here, Baal is the state religion, and Ahab is forcing everyone to worship Baal. The other thing I want you to understand, King Ahab hates, and his wife Jezebel, they hate Elijah. You know why? Because Elijah believed in the word of God. Elijah believed that the word of God was authoritative. Elijah believed the word of God was powerful. Elijah believed the word of God was inspired. Elijah believed that the word of God was to be listened to and followed. And so Ahab and Jezebel hated Elijah for that. And so what happens is Elijah says, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this Baal stuff, so I'm going to provide a prophet showdown. So wait, basically, here's what happens. Elijah challenges 450 prophets of Baal. He says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a challenge of bulls and fire, and whoever's God doesn't come through, they'll all be killed. Deal? How about that, right? So like, I'm going to challenge my, you challenge your God to come down and consume this bull that we're going to offer on the altar with fire, consume it with fire, you pray for Baal to come down and consume it, and if he doesn't, then I'll try. And if my God comes down and consumes my bull with fire, then I get to kill all of you. How's that? Deal? And if mine doesn't come through, you can kill me. Deal? 
Doesn't that sound like a great deal? I mean, talk about big stakes. So I'm going to read to you some of the passage here in verse 26, okay? This is, this is kind of what happens here. And they took the bull that was given them, talking about the prophets of Baal, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. So about 6 a.m. to noon, they called on Baal. Six hours. Six hours. I guess none of the prophets of Baal had a struggle with ADD. I can barely sit through a Seinfeld episode. They're calling on Baal for six hours, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made, meaning they kind of danced. Limped, apparently it wasn't good dancing. Apparently it was bad dancing. Kind of like my dancing. Now the Baal prophets fail. They can't get their God to come down. Look what happens here. And at noon, <laughs> lunchtime, it's lunch break, right? It's, it's Baal prophet lunch break. Look, Elijah comes out. This, is my, this might be my favorite verses in the Bible. Okay, maybe not, but it's, it's pretty good. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud for he is a God. Maybe he's just thinking really hard, musing. Maybe he is relieving himself. Yes, it actually says that in the Bible. Baal says, maybe your God is relieving himself. Maybe that's why he can't hear you. Maybe he's on a journey. Or perhaps he is asleep or must be awakened. Now, I don't want to really focus on the journey, asleep, or awakened part. I'm more amused with the part where he says, maybe your God is going to the bathroom. You guys, you guys that are laughing, you guys are so easy. Potty humor is so easy, right? And they cried aloud and cut them. So this is after... Elijah does some trash talk. He trash talks. And now what's their response? Apparently from noon to 6 p.m., they cried aloud even more and cut themselves as their custom was with swords and lances until the blood gushed. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Guys, you know what the prophets of Baal did? Listen carefully to me. The prophets of Baal worked all day, sacrificing, screaming, yelling, cutting themselves. You know what they were? They were extremely disciplined, committed, religious people. And it was all an utter waste of time. The problem was they weren't committed to the word of God. They were committed to religion. And it was a waste of blood and time. <clears throat> because I want you to understand any attempt to connect to God through human effort is just like the prophets of Baal. <clears throat> so now let's get to the title. I'm nervous about it. Now, <laughs> this is my pastoral sick mind thought right here for the day. Do you think God chuckled at Elijah's trash talk? Good one, Elijah. That was good. <laughs> Maybe they're going to the back. That was good, Elijah. Do you think it offended God? I can't believe you said that, Elijah. I was not expecting that. <clears throat> Did God shake his head and said, 
Oh my goodness, face palm, Elijah. Did he decide to bless it? That's a good trash talk. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to come down and burn up that cow now. Did he punish it? Or was Elijah's trash talk really irrelevant to what God was doing? See, if I had been a prophet, I would have never been a trash-talking prophet, ever. <laughs> Not me. But look what Elijah does. Elijah does his thing in the last eight verses. And I'm sorry, I'm reading a lot of scripture to you today, but i got to read. This is a great story. <clears throat> so Elijah says, to all, this is after all the trash talk, right? And after all the blood and all the, hey, maybe your God's going to the bathroom and all that stuff. And then they're beating themselves and dancing around. Nothing happens. Elijah, remember, that's 450 prophets and all the nation of Israel watching, including Ahab and Jezebel. Everybody's there. It's a big crowd. Elijah says to all the people, hey, come near me. Come in. Kind of arrogant, right? And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. That took a while. Then he took 12 stones, according to number of the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two big bags of seed. And then he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. So we're talking about a lot of time here, just preparing, right? Just doing the stuff quietly. Everybody's watching this. He says, come around and watch me. So he cuts up the bull, lays it on the wood, and he says, fill the jars... Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. So in other words, we're going to use fire, but just make sure nobody knows there's a trick. Make it really wet. And he said, do it a second time. So they filled jars four more times and pour it out. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around all the altar and filled the trench with water. There's water dripping all over the place. And at the time of the offering, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Let it be known this day that you are God and you have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. See that prayer? That you are God and you have turned their hearts back. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust from the wood and the stones and licked up all the water that was in the trench. You know what happens next? The people worship God. Verse 39, it says, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And all of a sudden, all these people were given the gift of faith. Which brings me to the theological definite, uh, application of this passage. Look at Elijah's confidence. It was not logical or rational. The logical or rational thing to do would be, hey, there's 450 prophets and the king and queen hate me. I'm going to run away. His actions and confidence are only explainable by the gift of faith. You know what else? I want you to see the theological aspect. So God gives Elijah that confidence. You know what else? Satan's ineffectiveness. Think about this, guys. If there were ever 
a chance that Satan had to make a splash. You know, Satan, the one we think about with hell and fire and all that stuff. Wouldn't it have been right here? In the name of Baal? Wow. All they need is somebody to come down and consume this cow with fire. I can do that. But he couldn't. It was powerless. Here's a great chance. It's set up for Satan like an easy softball pitch. And he couldn't do anything about it. You know why? Because God was doing something. And God says, stay right there. This is my show. You know what else I want to look at? God's faithfulness. In spite of Elijah's trash talk, in spite of him making it more difficult with all the water all over the place, in spite of the fact that normally, Elijah, guys, did you know this normally? He was a sulker, a crier, a complainer, a whiner. Matter of fact, in the next chapter, he complained so much. This is after this huge thing with the fire, right? This incredible miracle. <clears throat> and the 450 prophets of Baal are slaughtered because they lose the bet. And all these people worship God. Then he hears that Jezebel's angry. You know what he does in the next chapter? He runs away. And he sulks as I'm the only one left. Woe is me. And while he's soaking, God is miraculously providing for him with a raven and then a widow and it's all these things, but still he sulks. So this is not the normal Elijah. He had shown many examples of being someone that would be scared or timid. But in spite of his trash talk, in spite of all the water making it harder for fire to work, in spite, in spite of the fact that he's normally a sulker, God came through. To everyone who saw it. You know, after this thing, after this thing happens with the fire and the, and the cow and everybody's worship, you know what God is doing? He's just passing out gifts of faith like Oprah. You get some faith. You get some faith. You get some faith. He saves them all. It's incredible. Look under your seat. There's the faith. <laughs> Isn't that awesome what God does in this story? Now let's look at the devotional side of this. There are two applications for you today. <clears throat> to everyone who saw it, they were given faith. But then there's other applications. I want you to understand, without faith in your life, without faith in your life, without the gift of faith, you know what you will be? You will be committed to work tirelessly and sacrifice for and worship and call upon the wrong people, the wrong things, and the wrong beliefs. Without the gift of faith, you can't be like Elijah. Without the gift of faith, you will work for and sacrifice for and trust in the things that will let you down constantly. And when the heat is turned up and these things don't come through for you, you will not get encouraged. You will not be strengthened. You will end up defeated because they will not be able to hear you because they're on the toilet, which is simply a metaphor for not being able to help you. But you know what the gift of faith will do? 
First, it'll put your hope in the right place. You know what else it'll do? What it did for Elijah? It'll give you confidence to stand. I'm talking about confidence in God's word. Even when it's not rational. There's a lot of attacks about God's word out there. A lot of them come from the church. The word of God is not inspired. The word of God is not, it's just historical and, you know, it's just traditions and, you know, you don't have to take it seriously. The word of God is the word of God. And if you have the gift of faith, you will have the confidence to stand for it. You know what else you'll get when you have the gift of faith? Not only will your hope be in the right place, not only will you have confidence to stand, but God will use you when you don't deserve it. I mean, Elijah was used to combat evil, led to a big crowd of people becoming worshipers of God while he's trash-talking. And then the next chapter, while he's running like a scared little boy. The gift of faith will allow you to be used even when you don't deserve to be. Because faith and God never work because of you. They always work in spite of you. We talked about that last week. The same can be true for us when we are far less than sufficient. Far away from where we need to be. Far away from what we should be. Far away from even being focused on the right things. The gift of faith can allow us to be used when we don't deserve it. You know what else the gift of faith will do? It will sustain you when you're under fire. The gift of faith is perfect, and it can endure any attack the enemy tries to launch at it. You know why? Because just like Satan couldn't come down and destroy the bull because God said, this is my show, when God gives you the gift of faith and Satan wants to come and take it away, he says, nah, these are my kids. If God can keep Satan from consuming a cow, don't you think he can keep him from consuming your soul, which he has saved? If he can't, if it's possible to lose my salvation, I'm not interested in it, because I will. Did you hear what I said? If it's possible for me to lose my gift of faith, I don't want it, because I will. But just like Satan was ineffective in consuming the bull, he will not win in taking away my salvation, my hope, my faith. The last thing the gift of faith will do is inspire and motivate you. It'll motivate you to take bold action for the kingdom that you would never otherwise even consider taking. Think about this. People without the gift of faith don't have to take chances. People with the gift of faith know that they don't look on the things which they see, but the things they don't see. Because they know the things which they see are temporary, but the things they don't see are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. So in summary today, I'm hoping that what you'll see in this story is that the gift of faith allows you to stand, it allows you to hope in the right things, it allows you to be used when you don't deserve it, the gift of faith will sustain you, and it will inspire and motivate you, just like it did for a whiny little prophet called Elijah who stared down 450 prophets of Baal because he knew his God would come through.